Hello, Leanna. How are you? Uh, it's the end of another week. It, it is the end of the week. I'm now, based on the weather, I'm at the stage how when people ask me, or when people ask me, uh, how are you doing? I always say, it's one day closer to spring. Yeah. No, with with me, it's just, I don't know. I had three hours today where I wasn't exhausted. I'll take it. It's a start. Yeah, it's, it's three more hours than I've had any other day this week. Yeah, it, you know, it's all, you work for the, you work like like crazy. You dedicate yourself to your peer counseling clients and you work and work and you help them out and you work out like your hours are crazy. Your dedication is off the charts. Um, so it's understandable why you're exhausted. Well, Lots of people uh, that I know also are. I think it's the I think it's the on, oncoming winter. It's the shorter days. Uh, it just it seems to sap the energy from people. It's also there's a, a psychic drain out there right now that everybody everybody's feeling it one way or the other. I think that with the stuff in the news, but more the way people we used to see in a completely different light are behaving now. I think people are just, they need it to all go away and it's not going to. And people are, you know, normally I turn my nose up at the idea of I feel unsafe for, for most people, but it's real now. People are feeling a distinct lack of security in actual physical terms going out on the street now. And that's really, I, I don't know what to do about it. It's, it's hard to, to listen to person after person after person, just feeling afraid to go out because they're going to be accosted by someone over some political thing that none of us can do anything about. You know, I think this is kind of the way, uh, Many Americans have lived their lives for years. You know, the whole idea that we, uh, you know, it's okay. E even like gun control, people are like, I, I understand wanting a gun to, to protect yourself. You know, my always, my thought has always been protect yourself from who? Like where, Your no matter where you live, you know, an affluent area, not affluent, you need a gun. It's, it's a given that you should have a gun to protect yourself. And as a Canadian, my thought is, Protect yourself from who? I don't feel, you know, I've never felt to this up, up till recently like I needed to protect myself from anybody. And I think that the way people are feeling now, looking over their shoulder, not sure what the other person is thinking that when you thought you knew them before, I think that level of, I'm not going to call it paranoia, I'm going to call it anxiety, uh, is something that Americans have been living with uh, for generations. I, I don't entirely agree because that's how I grew up. You know, I grew up being taught, don't look someone in the eye. They may treat that as a challenge. Right. Especially so, Tom Cruise. It's not. No, it's not just America. There are some neighborhoods in Canada that aren't as safe. And I think part of it is people are acting out because they're not upset about what they're screaming about. It's the cost of food. It's the fact that even a used car is unaffordable now. And we keep hearing there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And that might be true. 
but the people who can do something and it it isn't in in many of these cases it is not government it is things like banks it is things like businesses they're not doing things that would help and no one can make them and so people are just they've had it they've had enough and i'm not saying it's right. It's weird, Ed, lately. People have trouble distinguishing between saying this is human, this is the way humans' brains work, and saying this is morally correct or an ideal. People have lost the ability to separate those two statements. Did they ever have it? I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, I, I it's think it was never put to the is... test is the thing. And now it's put to the test. And hey, what do you know? They never had it. I don't know. I mean, during COVID, all things considered, Canada got through COVID pretty well. I think we're all just sort of exhausted from COVID. And now it's, oh, God, please, not not this. I, I don't know how all these protesters have the time or the energy or the money to do what they do. I, I'm i so exhausted. The idea of going and screaming and yelling at politicians for hours. I, I don't have the I don't have the stamina. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, there are those who suggest that it's because uh, a great many of them don't have jobs. But I think that's actually just a way of dismissing them. I don't think that that's uh, actually uh, if you follow the data, I doubt that's true. It, but it, well, it does reason, seem like there's they, a reason a lot of the protests are on weekends. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it, well, yeah, because during the week, they're busy working on the weekend. Hey, what do you want to do, sport? I don't know, Dad. You want to go rail at people and call out uh, death sentences for people? All right, let's go do that. And then afterwards, maybe we'll go for ice cream. Like it's uh, it's a weird thing. And I think that people are looking and it's very deep, very deep. People are looking constantly for a sense of community. They will join a community that isn't necessarily uh, something about their ox being gored, if you understand that, that right. you know, expression. As long as if they can find some point of commonality um, or a group that will accept them, people are so desperate for a sense of community that they join up with things that they otherwise perhaps would not if that void wasn't present in them. And, you know, group dynamics, you get involved with something, you see the passion of other people, you want to join in. It, it You know, it feels like fun. You're joining in the adrenaline rush. You're joining in. And, and so people get carried away. And I think they do and say things that maybe they really deep down don't believe in, but they're in a community. And it's a community that will accept them. What they need to recognize is the minute they say one well, word second. out of line, they're out of that community. <laughs> like the minute you express any questioning of yeah. anything that community says or does, you're out. And not only are you yeah. out, you're the enemy. Like you're not yeah. just, okay, you're out. You are now an active enemy. So yeah. be be careful when you get into this sense of community because it's such a false connection to that community that community will kick you out the minute it thinks you're not ideologically pure yeah or the minute someone else wants your spot well you I mean, someone who's got connections yeah that, um 
That explains one thing you said there po possibly explains one thing I've been trying to figure out, which oh. is why people are putting so much energy into things, you know, half a world away that we Canada has soft power in the world, but we don't have veto power. We don't, you know, we can't make any other country do anything. We're just not big enough. Our our diplomatic influence comes from Canada generally being well regarded on the world stage and we set an example and you know we can't do anything about really Ukraine or the Middle East or except offer moral support to somebody for whatever that does but there are still not just indigenous communities but definitely indigenous communities without clean drinking water right here in Canada. And I'd be much happier if we saw the kind of numbers we're seeing for Gaza for problems here, because we can do something about that. Yeah. There, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I think there's something about people being afraid in a way, to engage in something where they can actually make a difference. Well, like you said, they don't actually care that much. You know, as somebody who's been involved in uh, stuff, in, in I don't like to call myself an activist because I'm not. If I see something I can make better, I'm going to make better. So maybe advocate, but not even not even then. I'm just a person who wants to leave this world slightly less bad than I found it. But when you do something locally, you have to make those compromises that these groups based on moral purity excommunicate you for. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you know, if they actually are joining groups just because they think they get a sense of belonging, they don't really care about the cause that explains why they'd pick something very very far away because the likelihood of them actually making an impact and therefore maybe making a mistake is very low yeah and they don't it isn't a cause that many of them research and understand every situation between people and in the world has there are nuances that are important there are gray areas that are important that <laughs> contribute are... to the formation of what's been going on. And yeah. when you parachute yourself in and take a snapshot visually of what's going on, you're not going to get a real sense of what's really going on. So you're not going to really be able to think about or suggest or be part of any solutions because you don't even know what the problem really is. And, uh, you know, there's there, are, there there's a lot of people uh People I know, people you know, people listeners know, who want to feel like they're contributing to doing something good. And if they find something they think seems like contributing to doing something good, they're going to do that. And they don't want anything that tells them that, hold on a second, this isn't the black and white you think it is. Well, There's a lot of complications here. And the, the truth is uh, somewhere in the middle. No, 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 no. It, they need to feel good about what they're doing. They need to feel like they're contributing positively to the world because they genuinely would like to, to be a part of 
a positive change. You know, not enough to actually do something, but uh, they, uh, and so don't confuse them with facts. The world is a, and always has been a very complicated place. Human beings, human interactions have always been much more complicated than we know. There's usually things below the surface of people we deal with that we have no idea and maybe never know until it maybe surfaces one day when something comes up. And relationships between nations, there are so many layers of things going on, so many layers of uh, pressure, so many people who benefit from the chaos and say they'd like it to stop, but they actually don't want it to stop. Like there's, you know, there's people who know what to say, what the correct thing is to say. And people who want to believe them will take those words and say, see, this is what this person wants. This is who they are. Then they ignore that, that the person does something completely the opposite of what it was they said they wanted to do. Because then they go back and if you if you criticize that person, they'll uh, they'll highlight some quote, some uh, kumbaya quote the person made. And then if you actually find a quote that is a really horrible quote that somebody made, a quote that you would consider like evil, um, they find an excuse as to why it's okay that they did it and they're still a yeah. good person. Or the other way around. What's that? No matter no matter how many good things you yes, show right. somebody that somebody did, oh, they did one thing they disagree with, they're a monster. Yeah, but it, it's, it's uh, the other the other problem with activism, and this is something that's driven me crazy back to. It's funny when I was in high school, and the whole marriage equality debate was going on in Canada. That's when I first really got involved in stuff. That and. Um, uh, violence against women awareness after the Lake Polytechnique shooting. You uh, must have been very young when that one happened. Uh, white ribbon. Um, that I was. I remember starting in the tenth grade okay. with like postering and stuff. But one thing we were taught, especially with marriage equality because gay gay rights stuff back when we called it that and not lgbtq plus or what is it lgbtq 2sia that's too much but i'm seeing that as the standard thing now which is kind of like i don't know why they haven't settled on a word because it's very difficult in speeches to uh that's like um saying Mr. Mix's Pitalik's name, the Superman uh, antagonist. But instead of saying Mr. Mix's Pitalik, you're saying Mr. M, X, Y, Z, P, T, L, K. Like, it's, it is a, it's a mouthful. Yeah, which is why gay rights was way simpler. Because let's face it, the state does not de need to give you permission to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But if you want legal recognition, that matters. And that kind of legal recognition was very important especially for people who were strained from their families and wanted their partners to have control over their medical decisions and not their families who didn't accept them for who they were. But what we were taught back then, because I got involved in it before it had majority support, it was legalized in Canada before majority polling supported it. They, they went MP to MP and convinced people under, I believe it was Kretchen, um, that this was the right thing to do. They made a human appeal because back then we recognized we are 
trying to advocate for something that is unpopular. Act accordingly. Don't get aggressive. Don't get in people's faces. Don't give anybody any reason to harm you. Because back then, the cops, if you gave anybody remotely a reason, even though it was a hate crime, they wouldn't charge them because they said you provoked them. And so I look at these activists now doing everything wrong. Because if you look at opinion polling, the only portion of the demographic that is actually on the side of the largest protests that we're seeing now, the only demographic is basically college age students. So 25 and under. Slight majority in uh, 18 to 34. Well, every other demographic, very different. Well, okay, here's the and thing. Two things those, on, on what you said. First yeah. of all, uh, the under 25 demographic have always been the loudest and always been the demographic that doesn't know their butthole from a hole in the ground. Well, they, they also don't uh, show up to vote. Uh, uh, yeah, they rarely show up to vote. They, I mean, youth, they have lots of time. You know, we talked earlier about how much, you know, where do people find the time? Youth have a lot of time. Typically, 25 and under, they're not paying a mortgage. They're not raising kids. Um, they have a lot of time. And they want to feel that they're, you know, that, that they're adults now. And part of being an adult is having adult opinions and getting involved in adult, adult discussions. And they're very idealistic because life hasn't beaten the tar out of them yet. See, so that, that's the thing. They, Gen, Gen Z or Gen Z isn't idealistic. They're nihilistic. And they actually do show up to vote. Gen, Gen Z are investing. They're, they're those don't don't judge all of that generation by the mouthy, you know, getting in your face protesters. Gen Z has its eye on the ball. Well, and... I, I hope you're right. Because the attitudes that I'm seeing in Gen Z, uh, the things that I am seeing, uh, large numbers of them support publicly and in polls are, are, are positions that can only be supported if you have no real understanding or life experience, no understanding of the world and no life experience. They're still wet behind the ears. But oh, they, they, listen, listen, when I was that age. Of, the understanding of history is in the toilet. But that doesn't mean they they don't have it. They don't understand how the world works in other ways. This is a traumatized generation. And well, yes, they have to start acting accordingly. Yes. But they're listen, uh, I when I was their age, I thought I knew everything. The older yeah. I get and I look back and realize I didn't know anything. But sure, I sure well, was loud about what I thought I knew. And it happens to a lot of people. You know, the old saying was. If you're not uh, NDP in your teens, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative uh, when you're an adult, you have no brain. Now, right. I don't believe that, but I understand what the point it's making, yeah. which is that um, life experience will temper or explain or give you context to things you don't have when you're younger. And yeah. you don't when you're younger, you don't know you don't have context because you don't have context. What is that thing? What is that called? You don't know what you don't know. Unknown unknowns. No, it's the the, the something 
something something effect. Dunning Kruger. Dunning Kruger. Dunning effect. Kruger. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know. But the the things these loud groups are supporting. Well, you know, mind you, I'm thinking back to when I was younger and thinking about some of the passionate twits that I went to high school with. Um, they didn't know their butt from a hole in the ground either. And they didn't wind up growing up and shaping the world the way they wanted to as teens. So, you know, it's entirely possible that this generation will be like every other generation before it. And as it gets older and incorporates life experience, it'll be like, huh, maybe I need to, I need to take another look at that. Uh, as long as they don't maintain this current infection that people have uh, against admitting that you were wrong. Like, you know, I just admitted when I was younger, I was completely wrong. Um, and but nowadays, people are very uh, uh, disinclined and discouraged from saying they were ever wrong about anything. Because if you were wrong about something, you didn't have a wrong opinion. You didn't have the wrong information. You were bad. And that's never a good way to carry on through life. Well, it's an ineffective way to persuade. That's for sure. I mean, that that's what I was getting at is even when I was younger and thought, you know, was a bit more, I, these are easy problems to solve than I am now. We were still told don't go in and get in people's faces because, you know, if you get your head put through a wall, that's what we want to avoid. Well, and go on. Well, I don't know when that changed and I do think that it it undermines a message of peace you know if if you're getting aggressive if you are escalating while chanting ceasefire people respond to the contradiction there it's not effective and especially in Canada the most successful protest movements, including women's suffrage in Canada, were done with a sense of humor. People like to be able to go, yeah, okay, I can get behind that. That I can agree with. That's what you're looking for. It's called interest convergence. See, that is what I've said for a long time, that comedians like uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor and uh, Lenny Bruce and, and on and on, uh, people who tackled head on these things, these these contentious issues that made people uncomfortable, did it with some level of humor and cleverness, and it allowed a conversation to progress in ways it may not have otherwise. Nowadays, comedians are either uh, hiding from uh, the mobs that will cancel them over one word, or they're stepping forward in ham-handed, ham-fisted yeah. ways to try to show, I'm, I'm still an independent voice, I'm an independent, and the stuff they do isn't actually funny, it isn't actually clever, it isn't actually thought-provoking, it's just them waving their penis around, saying, I'm not going to be scared by somebody, and that's not, not comedy, um, and, and uh, we should go to a break. Okay. All right. We shall go to a bake. A bake? Yes, we're going to have a bake sale uh, during the break. So uh, come by the church and there will be uh, cookies. All right, we're back. We're back. Did you enjoy and, the cookies? Well, before the break, it's funny because I had a an incident. 
I don't remember when, it, you know, when something just stresses you out so much, you don't exactly remember where it happened, especially uh, when it goes on a really long time. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I run a Discord for my online communities. It's a it's an app that you can talk to people while you're playing video games, but a lot of people just use it as a social media service. Okay. And um the I have people moderating comments because I can't be there all the time. And this whole idea of censorship came came up. This guy blew up at the moderators wow. because they yeah, they removed a comment that I I thought they made the right call because he was cracking a joke about the server rules and that you don't do that. You got to take the rules seriously. You know, you can't appear to be making fun of the rules because if you let one person do it, everybody thinks they can do it. And it's not right that some people get to do that and other people don't. But this guy flipped out, uh, accused the mods of censorship, and said to me, I didn't know we were you were running a church youth group here. And I said, dude, I'm not even Christian. But I it was so this whole censorship thing has gotten way out of control. Because people are missing that it's, I mean, if you want to call it censorship, go ahead. But that doesn't change the fact that if you are acting in a way that a group finds unpleasant, the group has the right to ask you to leave. Well, yes. Um, and the, uh, how do I put this? The thing that we, the thing that we're protected uh, or want to be protected uh, from censorship from is the government editing our thoughts and editing public discourse. Now, first of all, there is always going to be some degree of quote unquote censorship because certain speech is detrimental to, to the public good. And yes, that's a slippery slope. Who determines what? Blah, blah, blah. So far in Canada, we're doing all right with that as far as I'm concerned. But um, the, the idea that like if you come into my, my house and everyone, there's a wall where people can like, actually I've been to uh, clubs, comedy clubs, music yeah. clubs, where people, musicians who go in, sign the wall. Yeah. Now, if somebody comes in and puts uh, a swastika on yeah. the wall or something generally understood as being offensive mm -hmm. and the person who owns the wall paints over it, that's not censorship. That person owns the freaking wall and right. they decide what they want on that wall. You don't decide. And whenever you join a, a, any social media platform, any group, there are rules you agree to. And part of those rules are the stuff's going to be curated. It doesn't you're not being censored. Right. You're this stuff is curation. It is uh, it is proper editing for the form and the place, you know, the time and place of the the whatever medium you're using, yeah. it is not censorship. This idea that anytime you go somewhere and uh, like, if you go, let's say you go into Canadian tire. All right. Yeah. And you start uh, stomping and screaming out loud and screaming obscenities. Right. If they remove you, is, is that censorship? Are they censoring your free speech or are they kicking your ass out? Because what you're doing is inappropriate for where that place is. It's their 
uh, their premises and they don't want that there. And so that's not censorship. People have grown up with this idea that any curtailing of their commentary in places where it's been deemed inappropriate is censorship. And they stand up, they, they get this, this moral righteousness mm -hmm. against censorship, censorship. They don't even, it's like I was saying in the beginning, they don't even understand what the hell they're talking about. They don't understand what censorship is. They've latched on to a term that makes them feel empowered uh, yeah. at the same time as it makes them feel victimized. And they go forward yeah. with this, this uh, idealized and empty idea of what censorship is. And they, yeah. they, they think they're fighting the good fight when they're really just being idiots. Well, there's also a, a trade-off between having the power to influence people and accepting certain restrictions. Like, I think there's a bunch of words that we've have said in, we'd have said in the last 20 minutes, were this not on regulated radio airwaves, right? Um, oh, there, yeah, there are words that, uh, words that went through my head, went through a filter yeah. and came out as something else. But there's, it's gotten so bad now that, I don't know if you've seen this. Hundreds of journalists have signed this open letter accusing sites like the New York Times and things like that of biased coverage and censoring uh, basically pro-Palestinian voices. Now, the for people who don't know, there's this thing called the AP Style Guide. You've heard of that, right, Ed? Associated Press, yes. Yeah, and they recently updated certain guidelines about how to report on the war and i read it and some of the demands in this open letter are actually violating ap style guide and and, and no no one is required to use the style guide of the associated press is just generally seen as the standard and i'm really surprised because you know, we were always taught if someone is charged with a crime but not convicted, you always say allegedly or is accused of. You don't speak definitively, you know, that they committed a crime because that's not factual. They can sue you for defamation. Also, it's wrong, innocent until proven guilty. Well, also, there have, not all of the particulars have been presented. Because there has not That's been right. a court case where all the particulars are presented. Yeah, and the media gets things wrong. That's the thing. If you spend enough time in the media, you have had a few things where you were just wrong. You were lied to. You were fooled. It happens to all of us, which is why erring on the side of caution is always good. It makes you more persuasive. But for some odd reason now, People think that screaming words like genocide and apartheid, both of which are crimes in the International Criminal Court, people think that's persuasive. And I just disagree. One of the things I was very fortunate was to have teachers who busted me down when I did things like that. And I was told, they haven't been convicted yet. The only time you can actually use terms like that without it just being allegedly or accused of is if it's in a direct quote 
or if they have actually been convicted. And I think that's a good rule that journalists, some journalists want to throw out now because they're angry, because something has driven them to madness on this one. But here's the thing with with commentary writing, it's not persuasive. Like, let me let me try something with you, Ed, okay? All right, all right, I'm ready. Who are you more likely to listen to? Someone who accused you of a whole bunch of things you thought were unfair or somebody who started off like, look, you're a reasonable person. I've known you for a while. You're a good guy who cares about people. Who are you more likely to listen to? Well, the, uh, you know, this is almost rhetorical. The second person, the one who's right. not a, a determining right off of the beginning that I'm a horrible piece of crap. That right. tends Why? to not persuade people. Why? Uh, because, because they're you're not being giving, accused of something. Uh, you're being convicted not, of something before there's even a discussion. Right. They're not giving you benefit of doubt. So why should they hear? Why should you hear them out? Right. You give to get. Yes. When you're writing an opinion piece, you have to decide, are you trying to just double down and throw red meat to your presumed base and like increase enthusiasm or are you actually trying to persuade people who may disagree with you or be on the fence right and most people used to consider persuasive writing writing that changed people's minds to be the superior form not anymore people like to share things that make them feel absolutely right and for whatever reason, yelling the loud, funny words makes them feel right. The thing is, if you're trying to appeal to a group that you think are bad people, you go in and tell them you're bad people, you're awful, you enjoy death and destruction. They're not going to listen to you when their self-concept, their view of the thing is that they're acting in self-defense. And so people have to choose when they speak. Are they looking to persuade or are they looking to get backpats from people who think exactly like them on this issue, but the minute they disagree, they're going to throw you under the bus for not being sufficiently morally pure. You have to choose, right? Yeah. Why? Yeah, Go on, and then I got something. Why professional journalists would be advocating for uh, appealing only to extremists, I don't understand. It's such a sign of the times. Like, some of these journalists are going to get fired for signing that letter. And frankly, I think they should be because style guides exist for a reason. And we may not understand them at the time, but there's a reason there's standardization. And you fight about it later, but if you're given an instruction from an editor, you do it or you get fired. That's that's the gig, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at it, if I'm gonna look at it objectively, yeah. um, there it is, uh, there's a bravery in these journalists knowing that they may very well get fired and have their careers canned 
uh, speaking up about something that they legitimately feel. Now, I don't think they're thinking very much, but they're definitely feeling. And okay, I uh, taking away the 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 cause or whatever they're 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 advocating. There is something to be said for people who believe in a principle enough to take risks to, to stand up to it. I disagree on this one because your job as a reporter is to report. You have to put your own opinions about what's going on aside. You have to report the facts. If you want to be an opinion writer, that's fine. But these are people claiming to be journalists, which is fact-based, not opinion-based. Yeah, but if they're saying that there are facts that are not being put in evidence, all right, um, that's a thing to be concerned okay, about. But Show me gen- proof. But-, but genocide and apartheid at this point are not facts. There's been no conviction. Now, well, reporting... The, the, the words don't even mean anything anymore, well, Leanna. Reporting, they... reporting that certain UN officials said those things, totally fair. But referring to it in the article, not as a quote, that is not being a journalist at this point. That is offering an opinion and keeping that straight matters. Uh, yeah, uh, we've, it, this is uh, a problem with with modern journalism, though. This is oh, because uh, modern the, journalism isn't. It's not true. Well, when you're in a race to uh, beat the, the next guy to the clickbait. No, that doesn't allow the okay. careful thought and vetting process that's actually journalism. But, but, but the but, other thing, the other way journalists yeah. get get knocked, and I'm not talking about these people who signed the list, I'm talking about journalists in general, is that if a journalist uh, or a news site publishes a quote by somebody who is involved in the news, yes. there are people who will say that that news site is the one advocating or or be saying yeah. what is in the quote they're reporting. They're just they're not saying it's true. They're not saying it's not true. Sometimes they say it's not true, but th- when you are simply reporting, this is what has been said by this person. That is not you taking a position. That's right. But you get people freaking out about the CBC, especially yeah. because it's a conservative hobby horse. And you know, somebody showed me a a headline that mm-hmm. they said was uh, promoting a, a new blood libel against Jews. Okay. And I looked at it and said, no, it doesn't. All it says is, this is what this guy said, and this is what this guy said. It took no position whatsoever. Yeah. But there are some people who are like, if you report uh, both sides and you don't say that one side is lying, then uh, you're part of, you, you know, you are biased. That's not, and that's the thing, that's not always the job of the media. I've I've been in situations like this where, okay, it was over video games, but you ask the question, you get somebody on the record. You know, in this case, it was promises about certain elements of a game. So when the game comes out and it doesn't meet that promise, they can't claim they never actually promised it. You have them on the record saying these features would be there that is the noble purpose of doing fact-based reporting it's very very important even if you can't stomach the people you're recording it's very important to get somebody on the record 
So if they reverse themselves, they can't gaslight the public. And at that, we're going to go to a break and come back. Okay. All right, Leanne, I think we've we've chewed on that stuff a fair piece. Yeah, you I guess. For I, the last I, 10 minutes, do do you wanna, wanna, or is there something more you want to say? I don't know. I, I have a particular... Um, this is particularly important to me as somebody who does do, you know, a lot of commentary stuff and people ask my opinion for things and then yell at me for offering it. But I mean, I was, I was, I've been blacklisted by a few different in medias. Um, you know, the reporting we did on Bono back in the day was not very popular at the station we were at. And I did the bulk of that research and I stand by it. Um, it was all I, true. Well, it was all fact. Yes. And, you know, that wasn't very popular. And then in video games, I thought it's important to get the side of groups of people that were considered undesirable at the time. And I got people saying, you must agree with them. You're reporting on them. It's like, no, that's not the job. And I, I do think that it's very important to remember that it isn't the job of a reporter. You have a you have a, a duty if you think someone is just lying, either don't use them as a source or fact check their statements. That is, you know, you can't de disseminate knowing lies. But if someone says this, I mean, there was that whole thing, I don't remember a while back where um, social media was freaking out because they claimed that Justin Trudeau said that Israel bombed that hospital. And yeah. he actually didn't. Yeah. He was asked a question and he just said, bombing a hospital is a war crime. He didn't say Israel bombed the hospital and it's a war crime. He just said bombing the hospital is a war crime. And it's very important that you are able to go and find out exactly what he said, because otherwise the first the first casualty of war is truth. And it's yeah. amazing how many people have forgotten that with so many of these conflicts these days. Don't don't believe the 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 most recent reporting. The breaking news is often wrong. Wait a bit, because you know, especially in areas that are too dangerous for reporters to cover, they're getting things second and third hand. They're doing their best, but ultimately other information comes to light. So it's okay to step away from the news for a day or two. It's okay to read it and go, you know what? I'm going to wait for confirmation on this one because somebody getting it wrong doesn't mean nefarious intent. It just means you have to do the best with what you have. And then there's a more thorough investigation. But most of the quotes they're getting are coming from official government channels. We're in a war. They both have reason to lie. You know, they both have motivation to lie. And, you know, certain governments lie more than others. And certain governments have a free press holding them to account. And others don't. Other other places, you have to operate under the watchful eye of a government that actually does practice censorship. And some of that censorship means killing journalists. So, you know, journalism's a tough job. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
but a lot of people have been really forgetting what the purpose of the profession is lately. End rant. Well, I think they think the purpose of journalism is to confirm what they already believe. And how dare you put any doubt in my mind? How dare you attempt to put any doubt in my mind? How dare you attempt to shake my certitude upon which my uh, my mental survival relies? Because but you know what? Doubt is good for you. No, people don't want people don't want doubt anymore. They don't want doubt. So, you know, part of the reason they don't want doubt is because so many things, like I said earlier, are actually so nuanced and there's so much detail to them that they they don't want it. They don't want they just wanna they just wanna pick black or white and don't tell them anything else because they need to believe that black is black and white is white. Okay. If they don't believe black is black and white is white, then it opens up a world of great complications and they don't want to believe that the world isn't easily digestible. Okay, here's the two things we know about war. Okay. One it sucks. Well, one, you don't make peace with friends. You make peace with your enemy, right? Yes. Two, when peace is more expensive than war, there's war. When war is more expensive than peace, there's peace. And the mistake people are making with the Middle East is instead of making peace less expensive for the two sides, they're trying to make war more expensive in terms of global opinion. And they've priced themselves so out of the market already that that's not going to work anymore. They need to bring the incentives for peace up instead of the punishments for war going up because they've already thrown the book at both sides. They're not listening anymore. All right. Um, and at that, we need to go to a break and come back for a very short segment. All right. All right. Really short amount of time left. So it's time for us to just wrap it up. Um, we didn't talk about one thing that you and I said. No. Nope. We were going to talk about just moments before we started recording. We had things we said we were going to talk about. And That's what we, tends to happen. Yeah, we didn't talk about one single thing yeah, we were I going to talk try, about. I started trying to bring one thing up and then it sort of veered in another direction. But that's okay. I'm good with that. Yeah, it's just, the. It, it, I don't even know why we bothered talking before a show about what we're going to talk about. I don't like doing it. You're always, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, just start, just start going. We'll figure it out. And you're like, oh, we talk about topics and other stuff. It's like, no, we don't. Just go. Listen, I got my uh, dedication to having a topic from Bob and Doug McKenzie. All right? Uh, the McKenzie brothers from SCTV. See, I, I got, sorry, go ahead. Because I, I got my aversion to planning from talk radio. Well, they they would open the show with, and then they would spend the next couple of minutes uh, talking about what they're, you know, trying to pick a topic. And then picking a topic, by the time they picked the topic, they didn't have time to talk much about the topic. But the, the importance of a topic came to me from Bob and Doug McKenzie. And as far as I'm concerned, they are the Canadian equivalent of climbing a mountain in Nepal to talk to a, a sage. They they are the pinnacle. So if Bob and Doug McKenzie tell me something is important, I believe that that is important. Therefore, discussing what is the topic is important. Yeah, I got my aversion to topics from working in talk radio and the producers 
always coming down on me instead of you because you were the talent. I was just the sidekick. And they told me to never say the word topic. They what? never corrected you. Oh, they never corrected you. Never. They kissed your butt up one cheek and down the other. And they always were like, don't do this. Don't do this. Stop him from doing that. Don't do this. And one of the things they said is don't say the word topic. I don't even understand the reasoning behind the that. Listeners want it to be a conversation. And if you talk about the topic, it sounds too clinical or academic. They never said these things to you. They always expected me to control you, which I, first of all, that's treating you like a child, but I, I'm not your keeper. It drove me crazy. Well, the thing is, that thing about don't use the word topic, that reeks of highly paid radio consultants. Oh, it was. Yeah, because the radio consultants, it, it's a great scam. Radio yeah. consultants, huge scam. Because people are coming to you, radio stations are coming to you because they feel like they don't know something. They, like, they feel that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. They, want, they want advice from the experts. So because they're already coming to you and saying they don't know anything, Anything you give them, they're going to they, say, think is wisdom. Not it. They they want to get things that back up what they already believe, but they want an outside source to point to. And they want I, an outside I, source to give them magic words or magic non-words like topic. But we, uh, we got to go. Yeah. All right. Leanna can be heard on It's Not Therapy. Very incisive, fun, in-depth, uh, helpful uh, podcast about uh, mental health. Uh, challenges and so on. It's available on all podcast platforms, the Sirius XM app, and I'm on uh, 94.9 The Rock uh, in GTA, Monday to Friday, uh, midnight till morning, also therock.fm and uh, The Rock app. Okay, Leanna, do your thing. Can I just say topic one more time? Say it. Topic. Bye-bye! <laughs>